0: Um, all right. So you've got your handout. On the cover of your handout is a um, a printout of the, uh, the altarpiece by Lucas Cranach uh, the Elder uh, in, uh, in in Wittenberg. Um, so, so we think about Reformation today. Uh, Lucas Cranach uh, created this altarpiece. Uh, he was a contemporary of Martin Luther. And you've seen the bottom uh, illustration before, I know. Uh, if you've ever come into my office, you've seen it because it's about hanging on the wall. Uh, you have Luther. Oops. There, you have Luther um, preaching from a pulpit, and you've got the people verse, uh, listening on the left-hand side. That's the bottom, the, ba- the bottom panel, and then Christ in the center. And so he's picturing that, that Luther is, is, is preaching Christ. And as uh, President Obenberger said this morning, um, uh, Christ's righteousness. Not just preaching about Jesus, not just preaching about the gospel, but actually preaching Christ. And so when the people, what, what you hear in the pew um, should be Christ, right? And you, you hear Christ crucified for sinners. The middle panel. What does that look like? The center one, the, the, the top one. A table. A table. Okay. What do you think the table symbolizes or, or shows? Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. Yep. So you've got the Lord's Supper in the center. You've got the disciples, uh, or some of the disciples standing around, but some contemporaries too. Um, so he's showing the fellowship of, of the church uh, and you've got somebody on the left that uh, uh, is abusing it and wanting to go away. Um, on the left, what do you see? Left panel. You're, you're correct. Yeah, you are correct. If you look close, and if I know it's hard to see, uh, but you have uh, the guy in the back, he's holding a baby. And it's a naked baby um, because we, you know, we come into this world naked and we, we leave with nothing. Uh, but uh, in baptism, uh, that's the way they usually used to do baptisms. So you would be baptized naked and then you would receive a white robe. Um, but the guy doing the baptizing is Philip Melanchthon. Um, so he's not a pastor. He's the guy that wrote the, the Augsburg Confession for the Lutheran Church. And so Cranach, uh, the uh, uh, creator of the painting, is showing that uh, you don't have to be an ordained minister, you don't have to be an ordained priest, to be able to baptize someone. Right? The power is not in the priesthood, not in your ordination, but the power is in the Word of God. So you've got a lay person doing the baptism. You've got the, the Lord's Supper in the center. You've got the gospel being preached uh, on the lower one. And on the right one, it's hard to tell, but it, it's, just, uh, uh, it's meant to depict absolution. So you basically have the word in sacraments. So absolution can be considered another sacrament um, depending on how you define it, uh, holy absolution. And so this is... Uh, Lucas Kranach's altarpiece showing the word and the sacraments. We're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about the word and the sacraments. Uh, you know, when you go to church in Wittenberg, um, Kranach wanted this to be front and center. Like You are always looking at this. Anytime you walk in, you are looking at the word and sacraments, reminding you of what it is that you actually have. Um, and so you have these provisions for the journey. The provisions for the journey. So we'll talk about the the gospel first. The word of promise. We use this word, the Enchiridion. The Enchiridion. Do you know what the Enchiridion is? When we talk about the Enchiridion, it's Luther's small catechism. It's Luther's small catechism. And not... The catechism workbook that our confirmation students get—you know—they get the catechism, the small catechism—with you know 36 chapters of additional uh, workbook material in it, more questions and answers. But the small catechism—it's uh, simply the Ten Commandments and the explanations, the Apostles' Creed and their explanations, the Lord's Prayer and their explanations, uh, the sacraments of Baptism absolution and the Lord's Supper and their explanations. That's all the small catechism. So We call that the Enchiridion. And the uh, Enchiridion, it's a word that literally means a dagger. It means a dagger. And uh, an, an, Enchiridion, an Enchiridion would be something that a soldier would carry on his person. Uh, he would have this little dagger always with him, you know, in a holster. Uh, you know, not, you know, we have, you know, license to carry guns today, but, but uh, back then, it, every, all the soldiers always had a dagger. Wherever they went, they'd have a dagger, because they'd always be ready, always be ready for battle. And uh, so that was Ancridia, a small dagger. So the small catechism is, this, is meant to be the small dagger that you always have with you. Now, do you always have the book with you? Do you always have the small catechism, catechism book with you? How do you always have it with you? Yeah, in your head, Right. So it's meant to be memorized. This is why we always memorize it. This is why for 500 years, every, every confirmation student has had to memorize the whole small catechism um, Because it, it's, it's an enciridium, a dagger that you always have with you to carry on your journey. Um, Spagenberg says this. He says, impress some comforting passages from the scripture and the gospel on your memory. Collect them as provisions for the journey. And always carry them with you in your heart, just as a soldier carries his arrows in the quiver and has them ready to use whenever he needs them. So he's alluding again to the small catechism. Um, Now, uh, I should say that preparing with the gospel, so we always want to carry the gospel with us. So one of the ways to prepare for the journey, to pack for the journey, to have this provision, uh, to have the gospel doesn't always mean feeling the gospel. Uh, so it's not like you have to emotionally work yourself up. You know, if, you, if you're about to die, it's not like you have to emotionally work yourself up uh, like, a ba- uh, like a basketball player or a uh, you know, baseball player or, you know, whatever, uh, whoever might do. Uh, um, so this is preparing for war. You don't see a soldier going into war, going into battle. Uh, they, don't, they don't pump up for battle by putting their headphones on and listening to the final countdown, right? That's what a basketball player does as they're about to go out uh, and play a game. They're pumping up, they wanna get emotionally ready. Preparing for battle is something different. It's it's a much longer uh, process than just getting emotionally ready. Um, So being prepared for battle, a soldier prepared for battle always has his arrows with him, he always has his weapons with him, and they're always ready. And uh, so it's objective comfort. So if I know I have my my dagger with me, there's comfort there because I, I, I know it's there. I can rely on it. So that's why we need to have these passages on our heart or on our heart and on our memory to always have them with us. On the next page, you have a chart of all of these passages so these are ones that Spaggenberg recommends. So you can see the different categories. You've got a, a, couple, for passage, a couple for encouraging us to prepare. So Matthew 25, uh, we're, we, will, we will hear that in about three weeks as the gospel lesson in the church. Jesus giving the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, five were wise, five were foolish. The five wise actually prepared. They brought enough oil. Um, the five foolish weren't ready. And then, then when Jesus came back, they tried to go to church, but it was too late. The, 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 the churches were closed, or the, the merchants were closed, where you get the oil, right, the sacraments. Um, so Jesus encourages always to stay awake. Your adversary, the devil, uh, always prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him. Uh, and then Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. And then he's, he's got a, a, a column of uh, passages to... Imprint on your memory for illness. So God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46. Do you know what hymn Psalm 46 is? What hymn is a paraphrase of Psalm 46? Uh, A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. Right? Uh, Proverbs 3, the Lord reproves those he loves. Getting at this idea that, uh, you know, our modern idea is that, well, if you're sick or something happens to you, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't love you. And that if you're blessed, you're healthy, uh, things are going great, um, you know, etc. But the Lord reproves those who he loves. So if you get sick, that's actually a sign that the Lord loves you, right? If you get sick, that's actually a sign that the Lord loves you. Uh, Romans 8, if we suffer with him, Christ suffered for us, right? And then Swagenberg so actually lists thy will be done of the Lord's Prayer. So you have the Lord's Prayer. That's part of the, the small catechism that you memorize. You have that, thy will be done. And then uh, passages for persecution and affliction. You've got passages for the devil. If the devil tries to oppress you or if you feel... Afraid of the devil, the gates of hell shall not prevail against uh, uh, Christ's church, Matthew 16, 18. You've got passages for death. The day of death is better than the day of birth. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Uh, I can't remember if I'll get to this later on or not. Um, But I was reading something and it said, you know which what what should be a, a more a greater miracle to us uh, that a that God could create life from nothing so a newborn baby could be born uh, so so life from nothing so you, you have this this full human being that all of a sudden now exists but nine months or maybe even just a couple seconds ago didn't exist right uh, by that life begins at conception. So you have something that did not exist, and now it does, right? Uh, So is that more amazing and miraculous? Or is it more amazing and miraculous to believe that uh, somebody can rise from the dead? Where there already was something there. There was life there. It just fell asleep. You know, we marvel that the dead rise, that Jesus rises from the dead. Um, But it should be more miraculous to us, more amazing to believe that uh, God could create life from nothing. So we have this picture every time a baby is born that God, if God can do that, certainly He can bring something that was alive back alive. Right? And then uh, you have passages about, about hell. Uh, so I shall redeem them from hell. Gerhard says, uh, when your heart is gravely distressed and you hear the voice of the pastor announcing the remission of sins in the name of Christ, know that you have heard Christ himself. So think back to that picture of Cranach's, of, of Luther preaching the gospel and Christ being there. That's what you hear. So the pastor, in his own voice, speaks on behalf of Christ. If uncertainty wants to creep into your heart concerning this, Listen carefully to the words of Christ. He that hears you hears me. It is not you that speak, but the spirit of my Father. Listen to the words of John the Baptist. I am the voice of one crying. And then, uh, as if uh, comforting himself, Gerhard says this. He says, truly I tell you, it is another that preaches and cries by me. The office is mine, but the force and benefit of the office depends on another. So when I preach, you should hear Christ's voice. Uh, and, and this is not, this is in no way to put me on a pedestal. If anything, it's to lower me. Um, the office is mine, but the words are Christ's. So, so I speak on, on behalf and in the stead of of Jesus. And I say that whenever I stand here and I say, uh, uh, as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Whose words are those? Are they mine or are they Christ's? Christ, yeah. Um, so God uses me as an instrument, like a mouthpiece, right? Mouthpiece, that's why I wear this, this little uh, thing that, that goes right by my vocal box. Um, Christ is speaking through me. And so when I'm speaking, uh, if I forgive you your sins, you can be sure that they are forgiven in heaven. And if you have the forgiveness of sins, what else do you have? You have life and you have salvation. And if you have life and salvation, what can death do to you? Um, But you might say, well, they're just words. I still don't see or feel anything. Just words. Gerhard says, They are words indeed, but these words are more certain and more durable than the sky you behold with your eyes and the earth you stand upon with your feet. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, says the truth. He who locks away this word and clings to it with the true faith shall be saved forever. God has given you not only His Word, but also added sacraments by His Word, which are, in a sense, the Word made visible, the visible signs of an invisible grace, and seals of divine promises instituted to confirm and nourish your faith. You can see the note there, that comes from Augustine, Augustine on the Gospel of John. Uh, It's St. Augustine that we get our definition of sacrament from, the one that we still use today. So a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. So, think of what we consider sacraments: uh, baptism. So, so it's an invisible si- or visible sign of an invisible grace instituted by Christ Himself to to confirm and nourish your faith. Uh, so, uh, we have baptism. What's the visible sign? Water. And the invisible grace is that you are given grace. You, you, faith is brought to you. Faith is created, right? And you are, you are constantly nourished in that. Uh, was it instituted by Christ himself? Yeah, yep. Um, the Lord's Supper. Visible sign? Bread and wine. The invisible grace is that you receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, right? And strength. You get strength uh, to continue on uh, with your life right when I uh, give the the blessing at the end, may this strengthen and confirm in the true faith the life everlasting. Uh, And we pray in the collect after that, uh, may this increase our faith towards you, God, and towards one another, a a more firm faith uh, or a more fervent love. Um, So those are two. Absolution. Is there a visible sign with absolution? So this is why we don't consider absolution a sacrament in the Augustinian sense. Uh, but if you, if you get scientific about it, um, you, when you hear something you know, that travels through sound waves in the air, and if you put those under a microscope, like, or like, you could sense those, you could detect those. So it's something that we can detect, right? Um, but uh, that's why we don't call it that. Um, now, uh, the Roman church... Includes a couple other things like marriage as a sacrament. Um, was that instituted by Christ? Uh, yeah, so marriage was instituted by Christ. Does it have a visible sign? Well, the, the two couple, the, the two coming together. But does it give grace? Does it promise grace? And then we say no. It, it, you, don't, you don't have any more grace just because you get married, right? Um, and so anyway, those are the, that's, that's where we get the definition of sacrament all the way back from St. Augustine in in the 300s A.D. Um, So God gives you not only his word, but he gives you visible things. He gives you the visible word, the visible gospel, because he knows that we're human beings and we struggle with believing uh, what we can't see or sense. So he gives us things that we can't see and sense. So baptism, uh, on the next page here. Spagenberg says, You should recall your baptism and how you bound yourself through it to God. To be precise, you want to repudiate the devil and all his gang and to believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to demonstrate this faith as well with the fruits of faith toward other people to mortify the old Adam with uh, the sinful flesh and to subdue the evil desire and longings and from day to day become a new creature of God. That should come as no surprise what he says there recall your baptism, by it you're repudiating the devil, you're demonstrating this faith that you have, uh, the faith toward God and towards other people, you're mortifying the old Adam, you're, you're crucifying, you're killing daily the old Adam, the, 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 the sinful flesh in you that would cause you to be killed forever, and daily a new person is rising from the dead, right? What do we confess whenever we uh, confess baptism? So, Luther says in the Enchiridion, in the small catechism, what does such baptizing with water mean? Such bapti- can, you actually, can you say this with me? Such baptizing with water means that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts, and that a new man daily come forth and arise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And where is this written? St. Paul writes, Romans 6, 4, We are buried with Christ by baptism into death, that just as he was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So because you're baptized, you've already died. So death can't do anything to you. You are going to rise again. The hymn to the, to the right, Baptized into Your Name Most Holy, uh, b- beautifully says this. Um, you can read that on your own. Spagenberg says, In your baptism you received a promise signed and sealed that your temptation cross, suffering, and death do not belong to you, but they are Christ's temptation cross, suffering, and death. That means as Christ has conquered all of them, And in the end, he rose from the dead and lives eternally. So in the very same way, you shall conquer the devil, death, sin, and hell, and every evil in the name of God. And wake again on the last day from the dead and live with Christ eternally. So as Romans 6, 4 said, that when you're baptized, you take what Christ has. You take Christ's righteousness he takes what is yours. He takes your sin. And you become so intimately united with Christ that what's his is yours, and what's yours is his. And so your suffering and death and sin and temptation, they're not yours anymore if you're baptized. They're Christ's. But on the other hand, uh, his life, his perfection, his holiness, his uh, his righteousness, that's all yours. Right? So that's what you have in baptism. You take what is his, he takes what is yours. You become so intimately connected with Christ in baptism. Um, and so we, we, we say that in uh, God's Own Child, I gladly say it. Uh, that's uh, quickly becoming a new favorite uh, for a lot of people. Um, it was a, a hymn that didn't appear in English until this hymnal came out. Um, but it was written, you could see there, in 1671 uh, uh, or uh, thereabouts by uh, Edward uh, Neuermeister, uh, but only translated in 1991, uh, but it's a beautiful hymn. It's verse 4. It says, Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness to inherit paradise. Though I lie in dust and ashes, faith's assurance brightly flashes. Baptism has the strength divine to make life immortal mortal mind. And then the next verse on the top of the next page. There is nothing worth comparing to this lifelong comfort sure. Lifelong comfort sure. So your baptism isn't just something that happened long ago that has no impact on your life now. It is a continual comfort. It's always with you. So the two's lifelong comfort sure, open-eyed. My grave is staring. Even there I'll sleep secure. Though my flesh awaits its raising, still my soul continues praising. I am baptized into Christ. I'm a child of paradise. And then third, the Lord's Supper. Spagenberg says... Uh, think about the power of the holy sacrament of the body and blood of Christ that you have received and cast all other concerns, burdens, fears, and tribulations into the lap of the Christian church. Um, oh, uh, let's see here. Sorry, I, I should go back there. Um, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, um After baptism, you you still might have the question, how can I be certain that God will receive me? Okay, yeah, I've been baptized. But to be fair, it did happen a long time ago. I don't remember it. I don't feel it. Uh, Do I need to do it again? How do I know that God receives me? Uh, And Gerhard is funny in, in his booklet... And he, he acts as the tempter. He says, if only there were some reliable guarantee that would be able to reassure my heart, or if only there were some sacrament that I could participate in and receive confirmation about that promise of grace. If only there was something else. But <laughs> well, we have that something else, don't we? And that's, that's the Lord's Supper. So we have that. And so Spogneberg says, says what I just read earlier. So think about the power of the Holy Sacrament of the Body and Blood that you've received. And cast all other burdens, fears, concerns, burdens, fears, and tribulations into the lap of the Christian church. Now, notice he says, into the lap of the Christian church. What is the church? Why do we gather as a church? Is it just for me and my benefit? Why do we gather publicly? It's for all of us to, to be connected. Yeah. Um, now, could I, could I receive the gospel when I'm watching online? Sure. Um, uh, I just heard a pastor the other day said that the gospel, the gospel sends out, but the sacraments bring in. The gospel sends out, but the sacraments bring in. So you could be sitting at home, um, and you could receive the gospel, but if it's working, if your heart's working in the right way, what that's going to do is actually say is going to say to you, "Hey, I need to be here." Right? If the gospel's working rightly, uh, if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, "Oh, this is fine," it's not really working rightly. Uh, but the gospel should drive you to come here to receive the means of grace. So the sacraments bring in the sacraments, gather in, um, and uh, uh, so. And, and once you're here you do take the Lord's Supper together. And you become the communion of saints. And, and you, again, you pray for a more, uh, that you would have a more fervent love towards each other. And, and what we do here is, is bear each other's burdens. We bear each other's burdens. And we do it by singing, uh, right? This is what St. What Paul said. Uh, you encourage each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Right? So you sing to encourage each other and to bear one another's burdens. And you might not know what somebody else is going through. Um, if they tell you, then you could certainly bear that with them. But the way that you bear that is through the gospel. It's not like you have to muster up your empathy for them. And same with me. You know, when people tell me their problems, and I hear a lot, um, because we're all sinners and we have all problems, it's not as if I'm trying to, like, uh, muster up, a certain amount of empathy, I should be empathetic. But that's not what you're coming to me for. You're not coming to me for my empathy. You're coming to me for the comfort from God's word, right? Um, and the strength from the, the Lord's Supper, which, I'll, which I would give you too. Uh, let me read for you uh, Hebrews 12 here on your, on your handout. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us get rid of every burden and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with patient endurance the race that is set before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and of our faith and the one who brings it to its goal. In view of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of God's throne. So you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So you see some of them sitting next to you today, right? Everybody around you. We're all saints. But the ones you don't see are those that are already in heaven. The saints are already in heaven. And you are surrounded, Hebrews says, by them. When you worship, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, when you die, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And so what you're doing here is you're actually picturing uh, what's, what's more true or more, uh, more correct, what really is true, that, that at all times we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who are, uh, who are uh, in essence bearing our burdens already in heaven, right? Um, and, and so communion means that we don't die alone. Even if we're alone in the hospital with COVID and nobody else is allowed in the room with us, we don't die alone. Not only do we have God with us, not only do we have the angels whom God has sent to us to, to, to be with us, but we have an entire cloud of witnesses around us at all times, right? Um, and, and so uh, take that comfort. And that's what you have in the Lord's Supper. Uh, I, I've, I've used this illustration before, but um, Norwegian churches, Scandinavian churches, used to have the altar rail that was curved in a semicircle around the altar. And the cemetery, uh, the church's graveyard would be on the other side of the, of the wall, uh, facing east on the east side. And the gravestones would be arranged in a semicircle on the other side. And so the picture was that when you commune, you are communing with the, all the saints, right? The communion of saints. You are, you're, you're doing what you confess in the creed. I believe in the communion of saints. Uh, and so it's that picture that, that here, we can only see, you know, only to the wall, right? But there's so much beyond it, and that's, that's heaven, right? The people on the other side of the wall, your friends and family who have already gone before you into heaven, well, they could see this, right? They could see you communing. Uh, uh, they know they could see with their eyes. Um, we see with our faith what they, what they see with their eyes. Uh, I walk in danger all the way, Uh, a great hymn. I walk with angels all the way. They shield me and befriend me. All Satan's power is held at bay when the heavenly hosts attend me. They are my sure defense, all fear and sorrow hence. Unharmed by foes, do what they may. I walk with angels all the way. I walk with Jesus all the way. His guidance never fails me. Within his wounds I find a stay, when Satan's power assails me. And by his footsteps led, my path I safely tread. In spite of ills that threaten me, I walk with Jesus all the way. So communion not only joins you, um, well, it joins you with the saints because it joins you with Christ. So Gerhard says, Who is more dear to God than his only begotten Son? What is more dear to the Son of God than his body and blood? Or the assumed human nature which is united to him in a personal and indissoluble union? So in other words, Uh, what's more important to God the Father than his son? What's more important to the son than his own body, his own human flesh that he took on? He took on, he assumed. So he says, therefore, by eating the body of Christ and drinking his blood, you are most closely joined to God. So if God cares the most about his own son and the son uh, cares about his own body, When you take the Lord's body and blood, you become what you eat. And so God cares most deeply for you, right? Because you are eating and drinking Christ. You become what you eat. Uh, Gerhard uh, continues "Uh, Food transforms into the substance of our bodies. We do not, however, change into Him or change Him into what we are, rather, He changes us unto what He is. And he uses this great uh, illustration that when you eat, you know, you are um, you're changing that food into stuff that's going to help your body, right? Uh, when you eat the Lord's Supper, Christ is changing you. And it says, indeed, in the Holy Supper, you are offered a salutary provision for your journey, which is called a viaticu, uh, viaticu, uh, viaticu Vi- at, I- you, uh, viaticum. I think it's viaticum. <laughs> viaticum. You are presented a creedal journey for, a, for the future resurrection. So you are offered a salutary provision. It's a creedal symbol of the future resurrection. Right? So in the Apostles' Creed, you, you say you believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So this provision that you are, you are given in the, in the Holy Supper is, this, is that. You're given the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Because why? Because you're given, Christ said to you, he said, uh, take this for the forgiveness of your sins, eat and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Well, that same body and blood died but also rose again. So you are actually receiving the resurrected Christ. So you're receiving the forgiveness of sins. You're receiving the resurrection of the body, Christ's body, and because of that, you're receiving the life everlasting, right? So the creedal symbol of future resurrection in which the right of friendship and hospitality in that heavenly homeland is confirmed for you. Christ says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So without a doubt, when we feed on this, which Ignatius calls the medicine of immortality, the antidote against death and the purification of evil, we will live in God through Christ. So the medicine of immortality. I've mentioned that before. Uh, You've got the Agnus Dei, which we sing. You know this Lamb of God, pure and holy. Um, right, who on the cross did suffer ever patient and lowly; thyself scorn did offer all sins thou borest for us. Else had despair reigned o'er us. Thy peace be with us, O Jesus, O Jesus. So, so sing these, you know, in your last moments. Right, that's why we sing them all the time at church. Sing them in your last moments. Uh, Spagenberg says. It is better that I am unworthy than that God is not faithful. Think about the innocent Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, pure and holy. Though His grace and mercy, uh, all through His grace and mercy, all sins are extinguished by necessity as a spark of fire is extinguished in the immensity of the sea. Love that. You have the entire ocean putting out a little spark of fire. right? So your... In in the moment, your sin seems really great. In the moment, your death seems like a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, In the moment, your suffering, whatever it is that you're experiencing, is 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 all you can think of. It's all consuming. But it's like a spark that's extinguished by God, uh, as the uh, with the ocean, right? Uh, And that's what you're receiving through the Lamb of God, his blood that's poured out for you is the ocean that's extinguishing uh, whatever spark of fire that you're experiencing. Christ, who is ever faithful, humbled, and humiliated himself, uh, and has come to you. He is both host and guest. He has fed you with his holy body for the eternal hunger, and has given you to drink of his precious blood for the eternal thirst. He has chosen your soul as his dwelling place and lodging so that he can care for you can do battle and fight for you so that no foe nor misfortune can harm you and so that you lack nothing on your way but that in God's protection and care you will be carried by the holy angels into eternal life. So it's your provision for the journey, right? So you have it on your way. Uh, It's your lodging. It's your your tools to, to do battle with. He is host and guest, it's your food, it's your drink, it's everything for you on the way to eternal life. So we sing about this in I Come, O Savior, to Thy Table. Who can condemn me now? For surely the Lord is nigh who justifies. No hell I fear, and thus securely with Jesus I to heaven rise. Lord, may Thy body and Thy blood be for my soul the highest good. Though death may threaten with disaster, it cannot rob me of my cheer. For he who is of death the master, with aid and comfort, air is near. Lord, may thy body and thy blood be for my soul the highest good. My heart has now become thy dwelling, O blessed holy trinity. With angels I thy praises telling shall live in joy eternally. Lord, may thy body and thy blood be for my soul the highest good. And uh, on the last page, you you just have uh, two more hymns, uh, which you know or sorry, second to last page, Lord Jesus Christ, you have bestowed. Lord, I believe, dear Lord, I trust. Help for faith's weakness, give me. See, I but ashes am and dust. Ne'er of your word deprive me. Your baptism, supper, and your word, my comfort here below afford. Here lies my heart's true treasure. Lord Christ, to you be highest praise for this blessed supper given. While against it men both bold, bold falsehood raise, keep it for us from heaven. Help that your body and your blood. Maybe my soul is consoling food in my last moments. Amen. And then the nuke Dimittis from the liturgy. Uh, this is probably one of the greatest things uh, to think about when you're dying. I've had the privilege of, of um, speaking the nuke Demitus as uh, people are dying. And to hear this in your final moments lord now you let your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the gentiles and the glory of your people israel that's a song of simeon right uh old simeon who uh the lord promised him he wouldn't die until he was able to see jesus and then jesus came to the temple uh as a a two-month-old boy uh, and, and Simeon got to hold Jesus in his arms uh, and said, Lord, uh, let your servant depart in peace. Right? And you get to say the same thing as Simeon because you have held Jesus in your arms, in your hands, in the Lord's body and blood in the, in the, in the Lord's supper. You've done the same thing that Simeon has done. Uh, and so that's why we sing it. After you have held Jesus in your hands, uh, you get to say, Lord, let me depart in peace. And then finally, last page here, Luther, quote from Luther, the sacraments contend with death, sin, and hell. Luther says, Fifth, we must earnestly, diligently, and highly esteem the holy sacraments, hold them in honor, freely and cheerfully rely on them, and so balance them against sin, death, and hell, that they will outweigh these by far. We must occupy ourselves much more with the sacraments and their virtues than with our sins. However, we must know how to give them due honor, and we must know what their virtues are. I show them due honor when I believe that I truly receive what the sacraments signify and all that God declares and indicates in them, so that I can say with Mary in firm faith, let it be to me according to your word and signs. That's from the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat. Since God himself here speaks and acts through the priest, we would do him in his word and work no greater dishonor than to doubt whether it is true. And we can do him no greater honor than to believe that his word and work are true and to firmly rely on them. So the way Lutherans prepare for the Lord's Supper, again, is not to work yourself up emotionally, not to get emotionally ready. That's what I think uh, was taught for a long time, or at least maybe not taught, but a lot of people assumed um, because that's just the natural thing. Well, if I need to prepare for something, I've got to get myself emotionally ready. Like, it's, a, it's an emotion. Just like a basketball player getting ready for a basketball game, pumping himself up. Um, and so what happened is you have people depriving themselves of it for a long time because they said, well, if I don't do it, if I, if I, the less I do it, the more, we'll, the more I will appreciate it. It's an emotional thing. But the way Lutherans prepare for the Lord's Supper is not emotionally, but to believe whether this is true. And if you believe that you're a sinner, and you believe you need Christ's forgiveness, then you receive it, and you believe that Christ has given you that forgiveness. That's how to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Uh, And so you can take a look at Luther's uh, small catechism, the Enchiridion, and at the end of it, he gives uh, Christian questions and answers on how someone is to prepare for the Lord's Supper, and it's this exactly. Do you recognize that you're a sinner? Uh, Do you confess your sin? Uh, do you desire to uh, repent of your sin and to amend your ways? Uh, and do you, do you believe that through this you're forgiven? And do you believe you're going to inherit eternal life? And if so, that's, that's what it means to be worthy and well-prepared. And if you're well-prepared for this, you're well-prepared to die. Right? You have everything you need for the journey. You have the provisions for the journey. It's objective. It's outside of you. It doesn't depend on you. You always have them. You're always baptized. You don't lose that gift. Uh, you always have the Lord's Supper. And, and if you're not able to get the Lord's Supper in your final moments, uh, let your desire for it be the thing that, that um, gives you comfort, right? Because soon you won't need it anyway. Soon you'll be actually partaking of the Lord's Supper in heaven, the Lord's banquet in heaven. So uh, the final hymn I have on your, on your handout, um, can we sing this? We'll close with this. Uh, if you'd like to, you can turn to him 483.
1: 483. <coughs> Excuse me. And
0: we'll sing starting at verse
1: 8. 8, 9, ten, and 11. <laughs> mm. Once in the blessed baptismal waters I put on Christ and made him mine. Now numbered with God's sons and daughters, I share his peace and love divine. My God, for Jesus' sake I pray, Thy peace may bless my dying day. His body and his blood I've taken, In his blessed supper, feast divine. Now I shall never be forsaken, For I am his and he is mine. My God, for Jesus' sake I pray, Thy peace may bless my dying day. Then may death come today, tomorrow. I know in Christ I perish not. He grants the peace that stills all sorrow, gives me a robe without a spot. My God, for Jesus' sake I pray, thy peace may bless my dying day. And thus I live in God contented, and die without a thought of fear, my soul has to God's plans consented, for through his Son my faith is clear. My God, for Jesus' sake, I pray, Thy peace may bless my dying day.
0: Amen. And uh, thanks, thanks for coming. Uh, if you have any questions, I can answer
1: those. Otherwise, uh, God's peace be with you, and hope to see you this afternoon.